We are in the book of Acts, as you would probably know, and the last time we were in the book of Acts together, we saw the most famous conversion of all conversions, probably the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Later, he became known as Paul and wrote 60% of the New Testament. And we noted in his striking and famous conversion on the road to Damascus some things. Number one, we noticed in the last time we were in Acts that Christianity back then was called the way. Second, we noticed that Christ found Saul. Saul did not find Christ. Third, we saw that when the church is persecuted, the Lord Jesus Christ considers himself to be persecuted. And fourth, when you get saved, you are clearly different than you were before you were saved. And from those details of the most famous conversion of all time from the last sermon, this sermon looks at the inspired record of the aftermath of Saul's conversion. How was he clearly different? What did his life and ministry look like after he was saved on the road to Damascus by the risen Christ? And the first thing that we're going to see is that he was going by a different name. Both names were given to him at birth, but after conversion, he became known as Paul. Why would that be? Well, first of all, Acts 13.9 points out, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently on him. So why would he have gone with the name change? Dr. Charles Ryrie says this, Saul was his Jewish name and Paul his Roman or Gentile name. Both names were given to him at the time of his birth, but he then began to use his Gentile name in this Gentile environment, end of quote. And so he had a new name he went by, but there was other potent and uh, dramatic changes that we're going to see that came about because he came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. If you are in your Bibles to chapter 9 of Acts and looking at verse 20, that is where we will begin. I'll read the entire passage with you, and then we'll stop to make some observations after we've read the passage. Acts 9, 20 to 31, please hear the word of God. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and out and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. 
As we did in the first 19 verses of this chapter last time we were in Acts, we're going to make some observations in verses 20 to 31 together. The first observation I want to see with you is that Saul wasted no time beginning a ministry, a public ministry, which magnified Christ. Although Saul was extremely intelligent and very well versed in the Old Testament scriptures, He certainly didn't know everything that he needed to know for that ministry. In fact, right after being saved, he went to the desert to be taught of God for three years. Galatians 5, 15 to 18 describes this for us. Listen, but when it pleased God, who had separated me from my mother's womb, so Paul is writing under inspiration, referring to himself, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, in other words, other humans. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia, that was a desert. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years in the desert, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Can you imagine? The Pharisee, Saul, now known as Paul, went to the Arabian Desert Theological Seminary for three years in the desert. No other students in the seminary. Just Paul, the Holy Spirit, and the scriptures for three years. And what a rich time. What a rich time of fellowship with the Lord that must have been. The only faculty at this seminary in the Arabian desert being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Saul only graduated after being three years in that seclusion and that concentration alone with God and the scriptures. How are we doing? Do we make time to be alone with God and the scriptures? We don't have to go to a desert, but we might have to turn our phones off, the radio off, get to a place where we can be undistracted. The great Pharisee Saul, born again Paul, went to the desert of Arabia for three years to be taught of God before his public ministry to the Gentiles would launch. Probably when this happened in the account of Acts chapter 9 was between verses 21 and 22 that I have read. Let me read it that way. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? And then I interject between the verses, and Saul, Paul, went to the Arabian Theological Seminary for three years. And then verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. And after he left the desert, he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. The phrase there, proving, that this Jesus is the Christ. If you mark in your Bibles, you may want to circle 
the word proving, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. You see, the very same Greek root word is used in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. And there, the same Greek root word is instruct. Let me read it that way. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct, same Greek word, may instruct him, that is God. But we have the mind of Christ. And so this same Greek root word translated proving in Acts 1, or Acts 9, excuse me, is translated instruct in 1 Corinthians 2.16. The word means to bring things together. It means to compare. It means to carefully examine. So there in the Arabian Desert Theological Seminary for a three-year course of study, just Paul with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the scriptures, God helped Paul to apply himself to bring the scriptures together, to compare the scriptures with each other, and to examine the scriptures to have a sound understanding of who God is, what God has done, what God plans and intends to do in the future through Paul. And so in that wonderful desert experience, the Apostle Paul was putting together and examining theology and the cross that we're going to remember later in this service through the Lord's Supper, putting together the meaning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, putting together his own personal call to ministry as a Jew of Jews, being called of God to be God's ambassador to the Gentiles that he once considered to be scavenger dogs, not worth anything. Oh yes, God accomplished a lot in Paul's life in three years in the desert at the seminary. And so the second observation comes now. And the second observation of these verses is that the Holy Spirit, using the scriptures, not using feelings, but the Holy Spirit using the scriptures, can equip any believer, you, any believer for Christian service. The Holy Spirit, who wrote all the scriptures, can use and minister the scriptures to you, little old you or little old me, so that we're equipped adequately for Christian ministry and service. You may not get to seminary. You may not get to Bible college. You may not get to teleos, although to get to any of those things would be fantastic but you may not get to do those things. But the author of the Bible lives in you permanently. You can't evict him. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. The scripture writer is the one who lives and resides in the temple of your body, your mind. And so would you not think that if the scripture's author is resident within your mind and body permanently, that he can equip you to do the work of God for the glory of God as a child of God. Of course, that is logically true. Because you can draw upon, if you know Christ as Savior, you can draw upon this indwelling Holy Spirit for his assistance and power and insight 24-7, 365. Why? May we do so. 
And this wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within the child of God can bring help to us to illuminate our understanding of God's word. The Holy Spirit is enough. The word of God, the Bible, is enough. And so it was Paul who proved himself to be a student of the Bible. When he was a Pharisee, he studied the Old Testament scriptures. But after he was saved, he went to the Arabian Theological Desert Seminary for three years. And then after coming out of the desert and serving God, planting churches in the Mediterranean basin, he continued to be a student of the Old Testament scriptures. And God, as I mentioned earlier, moved Paul along by the Holy Spirit to write 60% of the New Testament. Are you a student of the Bible? I hope you are. Not to be dismissed so much that God has for you. And so, verses 20 to 22 again in our passage of Acts 9. Immediately he, Paul, preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he's come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased in all the more in strength and in confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving, putting scriptural facts together, examining scriptural facts, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah. And so the first observation we saw together in the text, Saul wasted no time beginning a public ministry which magnified Christ. Do you know what? Being three years in the desert only with God and the scriptures was not wasting any time. It was foundational to his public ministry that followed. So Paul wasted no time beginning a public ministry that magnified Christ. Second observation we've seen to date, the Holy Spirit using the scriptures can equip any believer for Christian service. And the third observation from our text this morning, it costs to fully follow Christ. It costs to fully follow Christ. It may not cost much to partially follow Christ, but it costs to fully follow Christ. But cost does not mean quit. I think of the believers in the Ukraine. I think of the believers in Pakistan and Afghanistan. I think of the believers wherever the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted, it costs them dearly to fully follow Jesus Christ. And if we would fully follow Jesus Christ in the commonwealth of the Bahamas with all of our freedoms, it will cost us dearly too. It costs to fully follow Christ, but cost does not mean quit. Let's see all the costs that Paul paid just in these verses that are before us this morning. And as we see all the costs that Paul paid in the text for this morning, let's see that the cost to Paul didn't mean that Paul ever quit on the call to ministry that he had received to be God's ambassador, gospel herald, and church planter among the Gentiles. Let's pick it up at verse 23 to 31. Watch for the costs. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. 
But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Verse 31, the benefits. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied, that is, the churches. And so the third observation in our verses for this morning is that it costs to fully follow Christ. What were the costs presented in these verses I have just read to the Apostle Paul? Verse 23, the Jews plotted to kill him. Verse 24, they watched at the gates day and night to kill him. Verse 26, speaking of some Christians, they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And verse 29, the cost that the speaking of the Hellenists, that that's non-Greeks who looked at life as though they were Greek, but they attempted to kill him too. People are wanting to kill him. A cost that the Apostle Paul faced and he was willing to pay was extreme threat against his very well-being, his life. But he was willing to pay that cost to serve the risen Savior that he met on the road to Damascus and in so doing to serve the first century baby churches as they expanded out from Jerusalem. And by extension, he paid the cost of being under threat of his life constantly so that the Calvary Bible Church in the year 2022 could have the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written through Paul who did not shirk back because people wanted to kill him and he knew it. You know, we live in a day when some of the most popular, famous, and superstar pastors preach that there is no cost to fully following Jesus Christ. Just one named Joel Osteen wants us to be declaring the power of I am, which is the name of God, by the way, right? I am. Pastor Osteen tells his congregation and through his writing, anybody who reads his books, that we ought to be declaring the power of I am. What does he mean by that? He says, I am prosperous. Say that to yourself. I am successful. I am talented. I am healthy. I am positive. I'm attractive. That's his message. Contrast that with the message of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, don't declare the power of I am. Paul said, declare of himself, serving God, that God is the great I am. Paul didn't say, I am prosperous, I am successful, I am talented, I am healthy, I am positive, I am attractive. Paul said, I am wretched. That won't fill the astrodome, but it's true. We live in a time when all the cost 
of following Jesus Christ by some of the loudest and most well-known writers and voices in pulpits would want us to believe there is no cost. It's all benefit. They would have us to believe that costs you nothing, but there's all kinds of benefits. I go on. In Your Best Life Now, page 40, this is what Pastor Joel Osteen wants us to believe, quote, you will often receive preferential treatment simply because your father is the king of kings and his glory and honor will spill over onto you. Really? Didn't work that way for Paul. In the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 11, 25 to 27, Paul did not write scripture that talks about the favor of God rolling onto him and he got preferential treatment in the first century Roman Empire. This is what he said, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, 25 to 27, and I quote, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, end of quote. That's biblical. It costs. It costs to fully follow Jesus. Osteen can talk about your best life now. Paul talks about, I am crucified with Christ. Osteen can think and try to contend that Christianity is costless, but Paul in the scriptures says that Christianity costs Christ everything and it will cost his followers no less. Now from the Bible and from our experiences as we've fully followed Christ over the years, we know from the Bible and from our experience as we fully follow Christ that it costs. But it's worth it. Over 35 years I've been a pastor in three countries. And God has given me a front row chair to see precious brothers and sisters in Christ in these congregations who have been willing to pay the cost of fully following Jesus. What are some of the costs I've been in the front row chair to see some of my brothers and sisters in Christ in the churches I have pastored? What are some of the costs I've seen them willingly pay? I've seen them lose their parents' approval and relationship. I've seen them lose their jobs. I've seen them lose their reputations by false allegations they left with God to vindicate. I've seen them lose and give up lucrative careers. I've seen them pay the price of lost personal convenience. I've seen them give up willingly free time that everybody around them said they were owed. I've seen them be written out of wills and lose their inheritances. High costs for fully following Christ. I've had front row chairs to see believers willing to pay those costs with poor health, 
with misunderstanding by their dearest family and friends because of Christ. I've seen them willingly pay the cost of being rejected by neighbors, by family, by ones that used to be called friends. I have had a front chair to see believers in churches I have pastored willingly pay the high cost of cohabitating as a married couple where the unsaved mate says, you don't renounce Christ, I'm leaving you. And they've stayed with Christ. High cost. They didn't push the unbeliever out. They didn't seek a divorce. But they've stayed with Christ if the choice was Christ or living cohabitating with their mate, not acknowledging Christ in the home. I've seen them pay the high cost of foregoing athletic and academic scholarships at college to serve Christ. First string varsity college football player was told to practice on Sundays or lose his scholarship. He lost his scholarship and his place on the roster. High cost for fully following Jesus Christ. And so I asked myself, Am I paying a high cost for fully following Jesus? Am I willing to pay it? Have I paid it? Am I paying it? Maybe you could ask yourself the same question. And if we wonder if there is any cost, could it be that we're not fully following Jesus Christ? That's why there appears to be no cost. We're just blending in. We're just going with the flow. We're camouflage Christians. Could it be? What I do know is according to many New Testament verses, none of us can say, biblically at least, the Lord doesn't want me to pay any high cost for following his son. Somehow, God doesn't want me to have to pay a high cost for fully following Christ. None of us can say that according to the preponderance of the evidence of the scriptures in the New Testament. Just a few. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 10, 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ, Paul wrote. I have been crucified with Christ. That hurts. There were no survivors from a crucifixion. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, it costs to fully follow Jesus Christ. No one's exempt. Matthew 19, 16 to 21, Jesus counsels the rich young ruler. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, 
You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, this is an amazing verse, the audacity. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me right into heaven, you're going to have to pay a cost. And for you, sir, it's the cost of your balance sheet, the assets you own. Or Luke 14, 28 to 32. Jesus asks, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions for peace. In that teaching, Jesus said, it's not if you will pay a cost to follow me, you're going to pay a cost to follow me. Figure out what it is and see if you're willing to pay it. Philippians 3, 7-8. This Saul converted on the road to Damascus come Paul ambassador, apostle, church planter to the Gentiles, writer of 60% of the New Testament, goes in Philippians 3 through his religious resume, Jew of Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, etc. With respect to the law, Paul said, I thought I was blameless. The audacity. But then the converted Paul recognizes the cost of fully following Jesus Christ that he was then willing to pay when he wrote Philippians in a jail cell. And he says in Philippians 3, 7 to 8, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, I taught you, scubula, human waste. I count all things before Christ as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And so nobody's sitting here today no one's sitting at home watching the live stream. Nobody can say, oh, but that all this cost of fully following Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for everybody but me. I'm exempt. I don't think I need to pay a high cost to follow Jesus fully. And in fact, I'm not even sure I'm prepared to pay a high cost if he asked me to pay it to follow him fully. The normal Christian life, whether it's the first century the 21st century, the Commonwealth of the Bahamas or the Ukraine or the persecuted church around the world, the normal Christian life is that fully following Jesus Christ costs 
a lot. And why wouldn't it? We're not home yet. All the people pouring off the cruise ships, when they come to the Bahamas, we try to show them a nice time, but that's, this is not their home. They don't have a passport for the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. They carry passports from other countries around the world, and they get back on those ships, and they go back to where their citizenship is. Guess what? For the believer in Jesus Christ, our citizenship is not in the Bahamas. It's in heaven. We're not home yet. We're tourists. We're just passing through. So we don't set our roots down deeply. And we don't cling to the things that money can buy uh, ferociously. And we don't try to pamper ourselves through life's any inconvenience or cost to follow Jesus fully. Properly understood, biblically evidenced, to fully follow the Lord Jesus Christ costs the person who does so. But cost doesn't mean you quit. Sometimes when we consider a purchase, a larger purchase perhaps, in our minds or maybe even on paper, we do a cost-benefit analysis. If I purchase this thing, what are the benefits for purchasing it and what are the costs to purchase it? When Beth and I were being led of the Lord to have theological postgraduate training at Dallas Theological Seminary, she was in Michigan and I was in Ontario and we had never met. But we were doing our own cost-benefit analysis individually apart from each other about going to Dallas Seminary. And both of us, as I met Beth, fell in love with Beth, married Beth, I came to learn that many of the things that she was doing in her heart about the cost of following Jesus Christ fully to go to Dallas Seminary were the same conclusions I was coming to apart from her in a different country. What were the costs that I would expect to go to Dallas Seminary to get an education? What were the costs that both of us surfaced as in our minds as we prayed? Well, things like tuition wasn't cheap. Housing being four years away from our families and our support systems and our local churches. For me, the cost I face as a Canadian to go to a U.S. seminary was to calculate the cost of four years of not being able to have gainful employment. Cost, cost, cost. Both of us had to resign full-time jobs to go to Dallas Seminary. Cost, cost. Other costs were in the column of our minds about going to seminary, but so were benefits. Those were the costs we faced. What were the benefits we anticipated? Well, both of us anticipated the huge blessing of gaining Bible study tools that we would use in our ministries for the rest of our lives. Or the benefit of just the pure joy and exhilaration of obeying God's call in our lives. The pleasure of walking into situations where except God does it, it can't get done. The thrill of seeing God answer prayer for the littlest things and for the hugest things. The benefit of making new 
friends at the seminary who are equally committed to being equipped to serve Jesus Christ by rightfully dividing the word of truth with the rest of their lives. And maybe the greatest benefit of all to more personally and more intimately and more fully to know our Savior through his word, personally. There are costs to fully following Christ, but they're worth it. They're worth it. Let's quickly do a little bit of a cost-benefit analysis when it comes to the costs of fully following the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not a complete analysis. In the cost column, you can say it's going to cost you yourself. It's going to cost you yourself. You're going to need to see yourself as being crucified with Christ. But you're going to gain the fruit of the Spirit. Under the cost column, you're going to do away with much of the ease in life that people who aren't fully following Jesus Christ experience. But you're going to gain spiritual growth in Christlikeness. Under the cost column, it's going to cost you the world. It's going to cost you a system of thinking, a worldview that cheerfully and completely leaves Jesus Christ out of everything. It's going to cost you that. But it's going to give you the gain and the benefit of standing unashamed before Christ at the beam of judgment seat of Christ. To fully follow Christ is going to cost you some of the, all of the temporary pleasures of sin. But your benefit is going to be eternal impact with people that you minister the word of God to. And a forever and ever and ever fellowship, relationship, and worship to the Lord Jesus in heaven. And so I don't know. There may be some here today. You've come in and maybe no one knows it except God. And you come into this service today and really you're thinking about quitting. You're not sure that the costs you've been paying are worth it. Or the costs that you're facing are worth it when it comes to fully following Jesus Christ in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your church. You're just not sure. And if the truth be told, you came into the service and you're thinking about quitting. You're thinking about, I'm not going to put the flag up on the flag of my life that I'm under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I uh, have full allegiance to him. I think I'm going to take the flag down. I'm going to take the easier route. I'm going to blend in. I'm going to compromise. The price I've paid is too high or the price I think I'm going to have to pay, I just think is too high. Maybe you've come into this service and honestly, that's what you're thinking. Don't quit. Don't become an undercover follower of Jesus. Be a fully committed follower of Jesus. The Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we come to this table in a moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, our courageous Lord and Savior prayed to his Father. You know what he prayed. Abba, Aramaic for Daddy. Daddy, all things are possible for you. Take this cup, referring to all that was involved in his sufferings on the cross. Take this cup away from me. 
was praying that he wouldn't quit. Then as prayer goes on, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. I just wonder, before we come to the Lord's Supper together, is there any one of us that needs to pray a take this cup from me prayer, but not what I will, but you will prayer about? Maybe it's your college studies. Maybe it's your dating. Maybe it's your sinful habit. Maybe it's your troubled marriage. Maybe it's the matter of giving faithfully financially to the church. Maybe it's obeying God in a tough thing. Maybe it's being accepted by people who don't accept Christ. Maybe it's finding contentment in the finances God has given you or in the illnesses that you have to bear or in the trials you are experiencing or contentment in being widowed or contentment in being never married. Maybe we've come into the service and the teaching that it costs a lot to fully follow the Lord Jesus Christ isn't theory, but it's a fork in the road to our living the rest of this week. The Lord Jesus, his prayer did not end in the Garden of Gethsemane. He did not end with this, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. His prayer did not end there. Jesus' prayer went on to mention, to pray, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In Hebrews 2, verse 2 of chapter 12, it says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that Greek word, Endured is a compound word. It's hupomeno. Hupomeno. Hupo to stand under. Meno to stand. Hupo under to stand under. Hupomeno. He endured the cross. He stood under the cross and all that was involved in the cross. He took its blows to fulfill the will of his Father, to draw upon his Father's grace, to finish the course that was set out before him before all of eternity was passed, not to quit, to pay the high cost that Jesus faced to follow his Father's will. And because Jesus stood under and took the blows and kept in the will of God and drew upon God's grace to finish the course and did not quit, we who know him by faith who are called by his name Christian. We too, by his grace, for his glory, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can take the blows. We can keep ourselves in the will of God. We can draw on God's grace. We can finish the course God has set for each of us, and we can refuse to quit because it was worth it for Jesus to do so, and it's worth it for us to do so. Today, we've seen three things in these verses. We've seen 
that Saul wasted no time beginning a public ministry which magnified Christ. We've seen that the Holy Spirit using the scriptures can equip any believer for Christian service. And we've seen it costs to fully follow Christ, but cost should not mean that we quit. Let us pray. Lord, deliver us from costless discipleship and equip us by the Holy Spirit's ministry of the word of God to have Christ-exalting ministries. Last, Lord, put us on track or back on track or keep us on track to stop delaying and to start living as living sacrifices. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.